Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Welcome to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. We're uh, coming at you once again. We're supposedly going to talk about the Augsburg Confession, but uh, this week, God only knows what might happen. <laughs> Last week was a failed attempt, although we, I think we, we managed a little bit of history at the end there, didn't we? We did, we did, yeah. So I think we're, we're kind of caught up on um, the background of the Augsburg Confession, but... Now, Mostly, God willing, we may actually get into. Let me let, let me check my notes on that. Body of the text and uh, Swirla thinks that he's Rush Limbaugh over there. Got my notes. Now, right, if you could good. just sign the four hundred million dollar contract to do the God that would be nice. Would be set. That would be nice. Um, if people want to find us on the internet, Bill, where do they go? They would go to www. How do people say that fast? Dot dot com. If you're George Bush, you just say www. www. <laughs> and, w, uh, w. That's a www www yeah. yeah and if if people want to email us where do they email you know it just occurred to me that that was double u wasn't it double u wow never yes. thought never thought w. of that before naming a letter after another letter it's a double u well, yeah and then you get your latin letters going you can't tell the difference between the v and the u oh yeah that's true there's 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 some of those funny things so, too yeah uh g uh god whispers at gmail.com gmail.com and if you want to call us and leave a message 626-593-7713 or manly doctors 13 and that's manly drs and we can, we'll make a whole show out of your call <laughs> <laughs> Still, still recovering, still licking my wounds over over uh, over the role of women in society. I don't want the, I don't want my wife to find out she's supposed to be an oiko despotes. Well, is she wearing her burka at home? <laughs> no, not only outside the home. <laughs> I occasionally get the guys. You know, there's that passage about uh, women covering their heads. Oh yeah, and. Uh, and I, I was I, I use that to my advantage sometimes. Occasionally you get a thing like a funeral, big funeral, a lot of unchurched people coming in. You always get some guy with the backward baseball cap or the cowboy hat or something. And I just kind of say, you know, in our tradition, only women cover their heads, and we wouldn't want to get the wrong idea. <laughs> <laughs> Works every time. Boy, that hat just comes flying off. I don't, I don't care what their head looks like underneath, man. That hat, yeah, that hat just boom. You're going to be shocked one day when you're met by someone's eyes and say the operations next week. <laughs> well, I've come pretty close to having one of those. <laughs> We won't. We won't go into that one. Hey, you've got something. The, uh, guy, in, the guy in a dress with a with a five o'clock shadow that I was envying. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. You've got something kind of fun in your wild and wacky pile, don't you? Yeah, wild. Oh, I do. I do. Uh, this is this is dated when we're recording. Actually, recording the show, but uh, or the, this is would have been yesterday but, on May Day. Uh, which is uh, communist. The uh, great communist day. Yeah, this yeah. this is great. Uh, Laborers but, arise. Dated April 30th, uh, 2009, Fox News, uh, quoting the Times of London, and uh, Prince Charles uh, being a part of the the great uh, Christian-Muslim soccer match between Ooh. Christian clerics and Muslim imams. Does it say where this takes place? Uh, let me see. Uh, this is... Mm, 
No, actually, it, it doesn't say where to go. Uh, presumably in England somewhere. Clandestine location. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> a secret location. Uh, they had apparently a very large German vicar named Herbert Sutmann, uh, who was uh, who's the goalkeeper. He always, always got to be large, large and agile for a goalkeeper, I guess. Um, they played to a scoreless tie. Which that's kind of indicative of the times as we have it today, isn't it? That <laughs> bunch well, of Islamic of Muslim clerics and and uh, Christian or uh, Muslim imams and Christian clerics playing to a scoreless tie. They probably just weren't keeping score because and everybody gets a trophy in this game. Fox uh, Fox notes that that was the best of all uh, options. It was a triumph for the ecumenical movement and a relief for the prince who argues for mutual respect between competing faiths. But it was a close-run thing. Last year, apparently, uh, the Christians got trounced nine to nothing. Apparently, the, the, uh, the, the, the imams were really packing it. Uh, the, the, these guys, are the, there's a lot of them, and they're good. Well, yeah, when you cut off the feet of the Christians, that doesn't <laughs> yeah, right. help either. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's no indication that that was the case. The the, um, the the Times does note though that it was it, it was indicative of the the major inroads that that Islam is making in uh, Western Europe that they could field uh, that beefy a soccer team hmm. with clerics. Also, I suspect that, that Islamic clerics seem to be um, they seem to be in better shape than the Christians. <laughs> Well, they got a good dietary thing, and you know they're flexible because they got to get on their knees five times a day and bow toward the east. And well, they, they got, got a flexibility. Let thing me give you an there. example. The idea of pitting—I'm uh, reading the article. The idea of pitting Christians against Muslims was tried out in a charity match in in Leicester in 2005, and was brought to Berlin by uh, this must have been in Berlin by the local Anglican chaplain, the Reverend Christopher Yage Bowler, 47, the chaplain who used to be a Moet and Shandone salesman. Okay, so. You know, you're, you're, um, you're, you're pitting imams versus champagne salesmen. Well, uh, it's a no-brainer can here. The, can the guy even walk? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Falls down real so, good. So this was, I guess this goes on in Berlin. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I hate to see this catch on. Yeah, this would, I think rugby or, or, or even American football might be a little bit more entertaining. Just, just saying. R- rugby you know. would be good. Yeah, rugby. Just, just start wailing on each other. But uh, yeah, that's in that's in the 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 world of religious sport. Maybe okay. that's a, maybe we should religious do that. Sport. Yeah, maybe we should do that. Whenever there's a, any kind of a, a a disagreement in in matters of faith, just have a soccer match hmm. or rugby match or pistols at twenty paces. I don't know something. Just settle this thing. I'm, I'm kind of thinking rugby might be better because uh, in England and Scotland and it, Australia too, they're they're huge in rugby over there. Oh yeah, no pads. No, I played rugby. Did you? Yeah, I, I was a rugger for several. I like years. the scrum. I, I like when it just—they're all kind of well, in there. Given and... my size, you know where I was. I was right in there. <laughs> you were, you, you, you were piling on, inflicting punishment. Uh, you, you ever notice that rugby players wear like electrical tape around their heads? You ever seen that? <laughs> no. No, it's true. Duct tape it's or true. electrical and, tape. And because if you play my position, the second row there, 
you get all locked up in the scrum. You got your head between two other guys' hips, and you're just snugged in really tight. I mean, there's got to be about... I, I don't like the image right there's there. There's got to be about 200 pounds of pressure on your head. Oh, gosh. And uh, your ear gets flipped over. Your ear can... I, I've had my ear ripped several times. So they tape just, their ears down? So you, Yeah, you run it around your forehead, basically, and, and you're kind of taping your ears down so Excellent. they don't get ripped. Doesn't that rip your hair out when you take that stuff off? Oh, yeah. No, it's, you don't it's care. just... It, it's miserable. You the scrum care. is a miserable Something thing. tells me that, that, that vast quantities of alcoholic beverages are involved in this, There's too. a lot of that. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's, it's a matter it, – it's like being in the Army. If you bleed with me, you're my brother. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things. And there's a lot of blood. So if our, if our heads are duct taped together, we are, we're in solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says solidarity like a roll of duct tape. Not electrical tape. Electrical tape. I'm thinking duct tape would be a lot better for this purpose. More <laughs> Might it's, pull your ear off. It's not good. Yeah. And, and now they have these wussy things called scrum helmets. Oh where no. Where you can actually put on like this little. Uh, this is the. This is the, this is as that is as to rugby as the indoor stadium yeah, is to football. Yeah, and they even have these light shoulder pads that you can wear. Under What's your, the world coming to? It's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. You know, you can tell mothers are getting involved now. Those those wussy <laughs> Americans wear pads. Oh, not not rugby. That's players. just wrong. That's, that's well, you, I have I've read somewhere that the hits in football, American football, are are much more vicious and damaging because of all the padding. Well, there's these that. guys just kind of go at it; they just run at each other at 100 miles an hour, yeah. and they they weigh about the size of an they're, they're about the size of an SUV, and 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 they just have they have no care about that until the neck breaks. Well, there's that, and also the rules of rugby are different than football. You can't cheap shot each other like you can in football. Oh come on, tell me there are there, there's somebody's not biting your oh, biting no, your no, calf no. in a no, scrum. No, I've been, I've I've learned you know the first first day of practice <laughs> I learned a valuable a valuable thing is if there's a pile you don't want to go down on the ground. Because people will jump on your head with their cleats. Oh, sure. That's not yeah, a problem that, that, at all. It's like, oh, let me get up here. Crunch, you know, right on your head or your hand or your foot. Whatever they can find. They'll just step on you and kick you. In. They, they used it's to rough. say of, of Dick Butkus, who's linebacker for the Chicago Bears in the glory days, that, that when there's a pileup and you felt somebody biting your leg, you knew Butkus was down in there. He's, he's, he's chewing on your leg while he's down there. <laughs> Okay. Well, so much for the Muslims and the Christians. They played to a draw. Draw. Is is that just the way of saying we didn't keep score because they didn't <laughs> want anybody's feelings to get hurt? <laughs> I don't know. There's no inci- there's no no um report of any incidences. Um it was seven to a side, but the Muslim clerics wearing white shirts marked Imam had brought along 15. So, so they brought, they, they had two they lines. reinforcements. Yeah, oh, yeah. A sign of how rapidly the Islamic community is expanding in the German capital. They were muscular, well-trained Turks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Them Turks. Oh, Turks, Tunisians, and Egyptians. And as they rolled out their prayer mats in the changing room, it was, pra- it was plain they were counting on Allah. <laughs> wow. I qu- that's a quote. That's a quote. So Christians versus men, and God wasn't voting here. It was a tie, a scoreless, a scoreless tie. Well, Allah did not deliver, which tells me nobody, nobody had, nobody came with a shot. I think that this is probably prophetic of the way that uh, our military is going to end up in in uh, a scoreless tie. <laughs> in the east is anybody keeping score over there? No, that's... Nobody will. Uh, yeah, oh, just be a, I'll go back to the way it was. But that's politics. Yeah. That's... All right. Yeah, I want to see actually. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe a soccer match uh, of of uh, of you know Lutherans versus Baptists on the sacraments or something like that. 
Well, the Lutherans may lose, but they'll have a better time at it. Reminds me of a great <laughs> reminds me of a great episode of Northern Exposure where Holling is arm wrestling some itinerant Catholic priest over the doctrine of transubstantiation. <laughs> <laughs> only only on Northern Exposure would you ever ever get that. That was, one, that was a stellar moment. Now we have a, a guy who's uh, from our sister church up in Canada who was uh, one of the world's strongest men in those competitions. You know where they're they're, they're carrying around 250 pound stones and throwing them and picking up telephone poles and all that kind of stuff we got a lutheran pastor up in canada who was in that i i saw him uh on tv it was fantastic. no kidding yeah. we need him he's for, an animal we the need him huge. for synodical conventions it would be good just throw a few delegates yeah the yeah. delegate toss it's throw, a the, <laughs> throw that man out <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't the Scottish have the wife carry or something where, where they, they have to, they, the husbands are racing around some course carrying their wives? I don't know, but they, there is dwarf tossing. <laughs> no, is no, 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 no. That's it. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> that's, that's a new low. Gone on too the God, far. The God Gone whispers, we are not going to dwarf tossing here. That's, <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> Let's see. You want to talk Augsburg Confession? Nah. Are we gonna we gonna we gonna be Lutherans for a bit? Okay. If we have to. Hey, I like the Augsburg Confession. It's a, it's Short, a good sweet, one. to the I'm point. I'm a big fan. Got you know, it's it's foundational. Um, I think we were talking about the history last time, you know, and, and Charles V called this Diet of Augsburg just to get everybody to get together and, and settle their differences. I I got the impression Charles V could not have cared less. He's re- you're rearranging the furniture now. What are you doing? The dog was whining and he wasn't going to shut up. His baby is under the sofa. Oh man! He, he, as I speak, the the couch is being tilted. Keep going. There's stuff tipping over. The dog is under the couch whining because his stuffed toy. You get uh, he got. He get it. I think it's under the wrong section. <laughs> this is, this is like Wolf Mueller with his kids interrupting his show. I give up. Yeah, that's, I was. I was trying to be, you know, covert about this while you were talking. There's no way. No, no, with that kind of visual distraction, you're tipping over <laughs> furniture here. There's no way. Charles V is trying to is trying to create peace in the realm. He, he couldn't not care less about all of this uh, all of this this religious turmoil that the Reformation is causing, and all he wants to do is get the two parties to make up so he can uh, he can focus att- focus his attention on the uh, soccer match between the Christians and the Muslims <laughs> going on in Austria. <laughs> And uh, and so so they're getting together. Nice nice segue there. Good thank good, you. Good tie together. Luther is stuck in Coburg Castle complaining about the the, the lack of quality beer. Uh, he's he's writing. They don't have text messaging or internet, so 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 they got to have messengers going. And he's he's writing letters back and forth to Melanchthon and stuff. And and uh, and they <clears throat> they basically have as their template Luther's uh, Torgau and Schwabach articles. And the articles that he wrote when he debated Swingley over the nature of the Lord's Supper at Marburg from the year before. And they were content, I think, just to present these articles until Eck, Johann Eck, comes out with his 404 articles against the Reformers, where he just basically lumps everybody all together in one big Protestant heap. Well, Luther kind of ran into this problem at Worms also, where he was asked to recant all of his writings and he he basically said look you know some of this is very much in line with what you believe so if i recant this you're going to burn me at the stake 
And if I don't, well, you know, I'm going against my conscience. So he was really put in a no-win situation. Well, yeah, it so, was just, yeah, here's your you know, pile of books, recant or else. Damned you if know. I do, damned if I don't kind of thing. Well, it's, it's like answering the question of you stop beating your wife. <laughs> you know, it, because if, if, if he recants, he admits he's a heretic. If he doesn't recant, he proves he's a heretic. Right. So yeah. there, you, there you go. But So X shows up with his bag of tricks. That's well, he's not got his, different not here. 400, not 350, not the 404 articles. And and the usual trick is guilt by association. So he pins on Lutherans what was being taught by the radical Anabaptist movements. And everybody's got the sour taste of the peasants' revolt still in their mouths. I mean, that was just a bloodbath. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, even Luther politically ends up on kind of a bad side because he encourages the prince to put this rebellion down. And they really put it down. I mean, it was just a slaughter. Now, the the rebellion there was interesting. They came to Luther with a list of their grievances against the princes and dukes and so forth. And he looked at them and he said, you know, on these points, uh, this is political. This is not my bag of tricks here. But you have a couple of good points here. And so they took that as a validation to go ahead and riot. And uh, that wasn't really what he was getting at. He's like, well, you know... You got a couple of theological points here. I'll comment on those, but all the political stuff isn't really my my bag. So the people go nuts and they riot, and the princes come to Luther and they say, well, "What should we do?" And he said, "Well, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do here." You know, and well, so I'm not, I'm Luther not sure gets the... a lot of the of, of the grief for the people run amok. Yeah, he uh, yeah, and, and he also. Um... I mean, when when he when he tells the princes that they need to let the sword swing, uh, yeah. you know, he's got a lot of blood on his hands on this one too. But, yeah. but you know what illustrates? We talked about this before. Is when Christians get out of control, and it happens sometimes. You know, you 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 the, it, a theological thing becomes a political thing, or so. Yeah, that's got to be put down. That, that that's got to be. There's got to be a lid put on that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, just like we ask of Islam, you know, is denounce this kind of stuff. Right. Denounce, you know, murder, terrorism, this kind of thing in the name of God. Because it's, it's if you, you know, if your religion actually is a religion of mercy, peace, whatever, then, then you know, you've got to speak against this. Right. And so Luther is actually speaking against what amounts to fellow Christians. And this attempt to uh, create some kind of Christian utopia or Christian state or just using the Christian gospel as an excuse to drive out the... Uh, uh, you know, Rome. Right. A lot of it was taxation. The money was bleeding off to Rome. Yeah. And yeah. And, and Germans are saying, oh, what about our, you know, what about us? You know, so it's very complicated. But all of this filters into the Augsburg, the Diet of Augsburg. And so there's, you know, they get together and, and the Lutherans present their, their great confession. Uh, and it was presented uh, formally in Latin, in writing, but uh, translated in German, presented in German. Apparently, by, with such a loud voice, Christian Byers, the guy who read it, that um, that it could be heard out on the street. <laughs> Those Germans are loud, you know. Once you get them wound up, they're they're they're, they're loud. And apparently, the emperor dozed off um, during the reading of it, so he really didn't care. <laughs> but uh, you know, you had to read it into the minutes, right? And so they did. Right. They read all their twenty-eight articles. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a buildup of, of 13 years of theological reflection and practice. So this is, this is not new, new Lutheran thinking. This is seasoned. It's seasoned by, by practice in the parishes, by preaching, mm. by catechesis. And, and so it's, it's not a new thing. And I divided it in three parts. There are 28 articles. Um, articles um, 1 to 12 are basically the, the 
um, the usual topics of, of theology, starting with God, ending with repentance. Um, articles 13 through 21, are, yeah, 13 and 21 deal with uh, basically ex-slanders. We're getting distance between us and the Radical Reformation in those articles. And then Articles 22 to 28 deal with abuses that we have changed or things that we have changed in the Western Catholic tradition that we find are contrary to the gospel. So, um, you know, there's like two ditches here. We, we want to show that we're good, loyal sons of the Western Catholic tradition. We're not innovating. We're not creating a new religion. But we're not those uh, Anabaptists over here either. Right. And so there's, there's kind of that, that there's two sides to this that we're always looking at. Yeah, that's a really good breakdown of all of this. And um, I think one of the things that is really important here is to see what's going on around in the Anabaptist camp with Zwingli and others. Uh, Not that Zwingli was necessarily in the Anabaptist camp, but he was of his own variety here. This is a guy who died in battle um, with a sword in his hand as a pastor. And uh, No, actually as a member, as, as, as part of the military. Well, as a chaplain, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was very staunchly uh, anti papacy, and 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 uh, you know, and, and he had there were there were other things going. Uh, he 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 had, you know, he had quite a to use your dogs. He had a dog in the hunt here, so yeah. I'm not going to fault him for that. The big the big thing though was was that he and and Luther, though they could agree on considerable things, they could not come to an agreement. On the nature of what it is you eat and drink in the Lord's Supper, yeah. no matter how hard, no matter how hard they try, neither man would budge from his starting point. Isn't that interesting that they they agreed on all these different points, but on that one, Luther ends up saying you're of another, you're of another spirit, and it, it comes down to the sacrament where Luther sees that the rubber hits the road here, I guess. Well, and, and it's maybe a way of saying uh, he that he has another way of doing theology, and and I I think it's it's it's. It's based on where do you start? Uh, Luther wanted to start with the words of institution. This is my body. This is my blood. Let's talk about what that means. And Swingley was all over the map with this Bible yeah. passage. You know, a lot of John 6, the spirit, you know, the flesh counts for nothing, you know. And so he's just finding all kinds of passages where he can kind of push this idea that when we're dealing with uh, the humanity of Christ, we're actually dealing with a figure of speech. You know, it's kind yeah. of like it's a quote unquote, so to speak, sort of thing. And and uh, then and Luther, that's a different spirit. It's a different way of doing theology, theology by metaphor. And you have all sorts of reformations going on at the same time here. Luther seems to kind of open the gate in a lot of ways, and there are all these little movements that are already afoot. But uh, it, it kind of makes it okay to you know roll your own here in a lot of ways. And so you have uh, all sorts of craziness going on. You've got this wake out prophets marching around. You've got all sorts of, you know, different things going on. Mennonites are, are getting started. Minnow Simons and These, uh, that's short, later, shortly after, shortly that's, after. But I'm saying Luther opens the door to all sorts of various uh, radical reformation and that sort of thing. A lot of people think that it's just Luther and Rome. At this point, Calvin's or, hot on the heels here, or, you know, or that there's, or Luther. that there's a logical sequence. So, so like Luther is the starting pitcher, and right. you know he pitches his five or six innings and does reasonably well, and then Calvin comes in, and and he's like the middle reliever. He sort of comes in and he he sort of clinches the game, and then and then you have your closers that come in at the end, and so a lot of people will see the Reformation as a development. So Luther started it. And and Calvin modified it, and then later reformers 
kind of perfected it or something. And and you know a lot of the groups that come from that those more Anabaptist kind of groups they would say that Luther didn't go far enough. Hmm. You know, kind of kind of got some things right. The love the love the bit about the Bible, but uh, you know baptizing babies, this body and blood and the supper stuff, that's, that's, that's just, that's residual Catholic and, and just couldn't get, couldn't beat the, beat enough of the Catholic out of Luther. Now we've got some listeners who would love to hear us take on Calvinists for the next six months and that sort of thing. Oh, I'd love to take on Calvin. Let's, let's bring one in. We just, we just walk in circles (laughs) with these guys for the next five years because that's where you end up, you know, but the thing is this, and, and I just want to leave it at this on this, but a lot of Calvinists will say that Calvin was a continuation of Luther, but I contend that Calvin went back to Augustine and kind well, of did true. a U-turn. No, Calvin is a, is a different breed of cat entirely. Yeah. One of the great problems is Calvin was a lot younger than Luther. By the time that Calvin was, was, was actively writing, and unlike Luther, Calvin wrote institutes. Right. He, he, he formalized his theological system, whereas Luther is, is totally occasional. Uh, all the writings we have of Luther are written for specific occasions. But now Melanchthon, Luther's, Luther's partner here, he, he wrote um, a lotzi. He, he, he wrote a, a collection of theological topics, but Luther never did that. So um, it's really unfair to compare Luther and Calvin, and they never interacted with each other. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a letter somewhere that uh, they they showed Luther uh, some formulation of Calvin. I think even on the Lord's Supper, and Luther supposedly said, "Yeah, that's fine with me, whatever." Yeah, yeah but it's, that's what it's I've heard too. you know, I mean, are we gonna make, are we gonna draw some huge conclusion, uh, some rapprochement between Lutherans and 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 the Calvinists uh, because Luther said whatever, you know? And Calvin did start out as a minister of the Augsburg Confession. Did he? Yeah, really. He's a pastor of the Augsburg Confession. He's more academic, you know. He yeah. and I think a lot depends on where you, kind of what your what your environment is. He, well, he's and and I'll go this route also. Luther dropped out of law school. Calvin saw it through. So, uh, <laughs> Enough said. A big problem there. <laughs> yeah, that, that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> but I, this is an impossible question to untweeze. We we can speculate about it all we want. Now, I, I think at the outset, before we really get into the Augsburg Confession, we've got to say that that in the end, Lutheran doctrine is not Luther. Right. Um, yes. I, now, I may be wrong here, and I'm always open to correction, but it seems to me that a lot of times Calvinists uh, like to refer to kind of a loose body of Calvinistic writings, whether it's the Westminster Confession, the Synod of Dort, uh, the most recent Calvinist, you know, whomever that is who's publishing a book, or, or the Institutes of Calvin, um, whereas I, I forgot how how big the uh, Weimar edition of Luther's works has become. It's still a work in progress. Yeah. It's it's over 100 volumes. I, I just got an email the other day that there are 21 new volumes in, in development right now. No, no, for, for the, the American, for the English. Oh, okay. For the, they're, they're adding to it because the, the 54-volume English edition, 55 is an index, uh, is, is only a small subset of the total uh, available what writing. What Luther could have done with a Mac. Oh, no, no, don't even think. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is that that th- those things do not define Lutheran theology. They are the writings of Luther. Right. And and we see a development in Luther's theology from his earlier days to his latter days. In and some places, yeah. And, and there's there's a definite development in certain things. And, uh, you know, he, he goes off the reservation every now and then. We'll admit that. You know, Luther, but just because Luther went off the reservation. That's okay. Exactly. Just because Luther said it doesn't mean it's Lutheran. Right. 
and and but when we when we cite the confessions the book of concord that we have come to a common consensus and agreement represents lutheran theology right even where it disagrees with luther and luther wrote relatively little of the book of concord small and large catechism and and the uh the the um Small called articles. Oh, small called. I, I was hung on Schwabach because that's that's the articles that lie behind the the Augsburg Confession. So he's like the ghost writer of the Augsburg Confession, but he's not the principal author. We got to take a break. We'll be right back after this. I'm a quiet living man who prefers to spend the evenings in the silence of his room. Who likes an atmosphere as restful as an undiscovered tomb? A pensive man am I. Of philosophic joys, who likes to meditate, contemplate, free from humanity's mad inhuman noise. Quiet living man. Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. And we are talking about the Augsburg Confession, Article 1, go. Let's do it. We (laughs) unanimously hold and teach in accordance with the decree of the Council of Nicaea. That was 325 AD, by the way. Yep. That there is one divine essence, which is called and which is truly God, and that there are three persons in this one divine essence, equal in power and alike eternal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are one divine essence, eternal, without division, without end, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, one creator, and preserver of all things, visible and invisible. The word person is to be understood as the fathers employed the term in this connection, not as a part or a property of another, but as that which exists of itself. <laughs> Whatever that means. Um, Therefore, all the heresies which are contrary to this article are rejected. Among these are the heresy of the Manichaeans, who assert that there are two gods, one good and one evil. Also that of the Valentinians, Arians, Eunomians, Mohammedans, and others like them. Also that of the Samosatans, Samosatines, old and new, who hold that there is only one person and sophistically, sophistically assert that the other two, the Word and the Holy Spirit, are not necessarily distinct persons, but that the Word signifies a physical word or voice, and that the Holy Spirit is a movement induced in creatures. So what we're getting here is that we affirm the Trinity. Right, we're Trinitarian. Yeah. Which, you know, I, there's something to be said there. I, I think there's a number of things. One, we start with God. That theology starts with God. It is about it is words about God. Mm-hmm. We don't start with the Bible. We start with God. Who's God? And and they're the triune God, right? As revealed by Christ. Now, see, that's kind of implicit here. But but when you speak trinitarianly of God, uh, and not unitarianly, that is just simply as God in His essence. Uh, you're really speaking of a Christian revelation of God, God as Christ has revealed him, because it was Jesus who said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's interesting to me is this was written nearly 500 years ago, and we still have the same problems in Protestant Christianity today that they're defaming back then. And these were dealt with 2,000 years ago nearly, 
uh, many of them were, you know, like Arianism was dealt with, gosh, 16, 1700 years ago or something like that. And um, this just keeps going round and round. As history is ignored, it just kind of keeps replaying itself. Well, I wouldn't wouldn't attribute it to Protestant Christianity. No, not necessarily, but this is our world, is Protestantism. And and we see these same things. You see um, Arianism, well, not in Christianity proper, but in cults. You know, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and that sort of thing. Yeah, they they are more or less the approximation of Arian today. Right. Uh, you do see modalistic monarchianism, which is... You uh, love throwing that term out. <laughs> I love mo- my modalism. What can I say? <laughs> modalistic we, monarchianism. We, which is... Would you define that, please? Yeah, well, we're, we're talking... We talk about it here that uh, the Manichaeans kind of assert this sort of thing, that there are two gods. There's... Um, that's not modalism, though. Yeah, but there's a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament. And what modalism does is it says, well, God, there's one God, but one person who wears different masks throughout history. So in the Old Testament, you have God wearing his father mask. In the New Testament, you have God wearing his Jesus mask. And now in the church's age, we have the Holy Spirit, God wearing the Holy Spirit mask. And so they deny the three persons of the Trinity. They simply say there is one God one person who has various hats in the closet, and he wears them out for different occasions. Yeah, and, and actually, when you look, uh, first of all, Manichaeans are actually dualists. They're two right, gods. Right, but the, Evil God, good God. Yeah, but this filtered into Christianity with the, this dualistic, uh, kind of like Marcion had, Marcion, sure. had the God of the Old Testament being the angry God and the God of the New Testament being the gracious God. It, yeah. And it all kind of filters together. Hard to say whether that was like a change in attitude. You know, God was crabby for a while and now he's nice or, you know, he just kind of grew out of that phase or something. Um, modalism, which you described as kind of God wearing hats or yeah. disguises or something like that, that's probably the most reasonable attempt to reconcile the paradox of God being three and God being one at the same time. Yeah, when, when you hear people explaining the Trinity as like water or something like that. Different it, forms of water, steam, yeah. ice, liquid. Right, you, you end up falling into this error. Yeah, I think, I think any analogy of the Trinity is always going to go modalistic on you right. at some level. You know, and the problem, and, and I, I think it makes sense. This is probably the most sensible way of looking at the, the Trinity, except for this problem. Is that is that if these are modes of God's presence, modalism, mm-hmm. then how can the Father send the Son? How can the Son pray to the Father? How can the Son send the Spirit? Oh, but Bill, Jesus said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." So, right, you know, it, see, and, and if see, if there's, you've seen me, you've seen the. So, I'm not wearing my Father hat right now. I'm wearing my son. That hat. sentence alone, in isolation, or I and the Father are one right. thing. Hen. Yeah. Uh, it was one thing in, in Greek. Uh, those are those would lend perfectly well to modalism. Mm-hmm. All heresies have truth in them; otherwise, they'll never fly. Right. They're not built on falsehood. They're built on taking one part and making it the thing, the the the, the whole thing. So so yeah, take those passages and run with them as far as you want. You will be a modalist. You you will have God wearing different disguises or taking on different persona. I think oftentimes just being human is a problem that we want to say too much. We want to explain too much when sometimes it's enough to just say what God has said and leave it at that. Well, and that's the trick. There are so many paradoxical uh, 
things in in Christianity, and and this of course drives the rationalists crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I I mentioned in a previous episode that I'm totally immersed in the atheists at the moment. So so Richard Dawkins wastes no amount of ink. Uh, talking about all all the things that have ever been said about the Trinity and how absurd this doctrine is that it's so absurd we can't even agree on it, and uh, you know that's the nature of paradox. If you try to resolve something, you're going to say something wrong, mm. and and that that God is at once a, a multiple. Even in the Old Testament, let us make man in our image. You know, God when He talks to Himself, speaks to Himself in the plural. Mm-hmm. And yet there is but one God. He is unique. There are no other gods but him. And so you have this kind of, uh, this thing of, of you have something that's, that's one in being but three in person, and that's utterly unique. Right. And so what do you, there is no analogy in the world that's going to, that's going to work. And, uh, and the, the nature of that paradox is it's always going to leave you in some logical, mental state of unrest, you know, if you if you like your ducks all waddling in a road, this is really going to leave you kind of kind of flat because in the end, like you said, we just we all we can do is say what it says, right? And it's still only a, an approximation. These formulas are not the they're 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 like Paul says, looking through a glass dimly. And you know, we we can get off on modalism here, which I did, but uh, there are other things here that we're rejecting. And I've, I think that it's really important to say that in defining what you believe, oftentimes you do have to define what you don't believe so that people don't misunderstand you. And uh, we, in today's culture, don't like to do that so much, you know, because that's negative, and we don't want to go negative. Yeah, here. we never go negative. Confession yeah. always has its, its the, the flip side of that coin. We, we confess these things. We deny these other things. Right, right. So here we have Arianism also, which I said, you know, we find a good taste of in Jehovah's Witnesses today. Arianism basically said that uh, Jesus was created. There was a time when the sun was not, they would say. And that Jesus was such a really good deal, really good guy, that God adopted him into the Godhead. So Jesus became God. Uh, and do they, we, do we they actually that. say that? Do, 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 the, the Jehovah's Witnesses actually say that No, I don't know if the JWs God. say that, but the Arians did. Mormons do. Now, Mormons, right. Mormons are Gnostics, which would be the Valentinians in this list are the Gnostic representatives. Um, but Mormons are Gnostics uh, and to a great extent that... Jesus became a god. Right. He yes. did the right stuff, and he became a god. And you and, can, too. Right. Um, so, the, And that's very Gnostic. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, I mean, the, the whole idea is that Jesus is not God in the same sense that Jehovah is. Right. Not co-eternal, not right. all that. that. But he's higher than man, mm-hmm. but he's less than God, Jehovah God. And, and that's, that would be Arian. Right, you know, Arian says, yeah, and and it's so really, it's. I, I'm in, what, what's interesting is that that the doctrine of the Trinity is not an isolated doctrine. It has to do with Christology. See, Christ is always at the center of things because what are most of these things? These are denials of Christ. In modalism, you're denying the uniqueness of the Son of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and and. Uh, uh, why is Islam, why is Mohammedan, you know, the Mohammedans, that's a politically incorrect way of referring to them, 
Um, but they didn't care back in the 16th century. Well, they reject the Trinity, for one. Well, and yeah, that's Jesus right. Jesus was just a prophet. They call it tritheism. Right. When they mock the doctrine of the Trinity, they basically say we believe in three gods. Um, and that's, of course, a denial of the unity of the essence. They also deny that Christ is anything more than a prophet. Not even the greatest prophet, Muhammad, supersedes him. Even though Christ was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life. And well, they, don't buy, they, don't, they, they don't buy any of that stuff. No, they, they do. Oh, they do? They believe that Christ was born of a virgin. Uh, but they, that, they deny the crucifixion. Right. Yeah. And therefore also the resurrection. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Jesus had more miracles attributed to him, and they'll admit this. This mm-hmm. is what's really astonishing is all of these things attributed to Christ, if you look at them side by side with Muhammad, uh, you would say Christ is certainly the greater prophet, but... In the long run, Muhammad dictated the Quran because he was illiterate and uh, declared himself to be the greatest prophet. Therefore, he is. Well, <laughs> you, you know, you, you have to look. Being born of a virgin does not of itself prove that you are divine. No, but that's a pretty big trick there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still, in terms of proof, you, you always have to look at, the, you know, what's the argumentation? Being born of a virgin does not does not clinch well, the fact that you're divine. We would it's go to simply, the resurrection. It's simply a miraculous birth. Right. And and uh, now, you know, how you explain a miraculous birth, okay, well, then for, for, for Islam, it's not a problem because they believe in miracles. I'm trying to remember, you know, we need to talk to Adam Francisco about this one, but I, I think Jesus was conceived by Gabriel. Is that right? Do you know that? I, I don't know. We'd have to, I, I, don't, I don't know what the, the, word, on the, what the word on the street is. You know, remember that they hold that the, 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 the Bible as we have it is corrupted. Right. And they actually exploit, you know, some of the people who call into question the text uh, on their side, saying, see, it's a questionable text. It's been corrupted. Which is really great because higher criticism is now reaching Islam, and uh, they have their critics within their circles. They got liberal uh, Yeah, they're going to have to contend with the same thing yeah. because they rely on a text, too. And right. so, so the idea of establishing a text and arguing from it, you've you got to be careful how you use that argument there, there was a it time, won't come back to bite you. There were many variant readings of the Quran at one time, but then some guy gathered them all up and had them burned. And I don't remember. <laughs> Adam Francisco talks about that. We, we did an episode with Adam, but it ended up getting burned basically because of technical difficulties. The lost episode. Yeah, we're, we're going to get gonna... him back though. I want you you had a great idea of getting him back and possibly a uh, a convert from Islam. A guy who used to be a terrorist. Yeah, I, w- I would love to have that. Yeah. And and uh preferably by phone. I don't want to get I don't <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think that would be fascinating would. To, to listen to because they have a and that, that's the kind of question you can put to him. Yeah. Is what were you taught? Right. Because I, I think teaching also varies depending on what circles you run in, you know, what, what they say about Christians. And, and, well, and I like. know from my interactions with some Muslims that there, there are various stripes of fundamentalist to mainline to moderate to liberal, you know, just like we have in Christianity. Uh, it's just that in their world, the fundamentalists seem to have much better traction than than the others. Well, they'll make the headlines. Yeah. I, you, you know, it's just like, but that's true in Christianity too. The noisy ones always get the headlines. Yeah, with us, it's the ELCA. <laughs> Paul, Paul of Samosata gets mentioned here, the Samosatines. Um, and uh, he, he, Paul of Samosata was third century. Now, he was a modalist, see? He, and he was, he was one of these guys who basically said that, that God uh, takes on various forms. And uh, he actually is one who coined the term homoousios. 
and that is to say that uh, they 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 all are of the same substance. These forms, which actually turned out to be a good good word. Yes, uh, but funny thing is, was that term was condemned at the time of Paul of Samosata, and then Council of Nicaea comes along seventy five years later and says we we need this term against the Arians. <laughs> so they kind of dust it off, they resurrect it, they uh, they rehabilitate it. You know, the term the term takes on new meaning now. Uh, meaning of the same essence, usias uh, in Greek is essence, and basically what it's saying is that uh, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all essentially God. They are of the same essence, right. um, and and therefore one, even though they are three in Greek hypostasis in person. <clears throat> and and all these terms are tricky. These are terms out of philosophy. These are not terms out of the scriptures. That's what you got to concede to your Jehovah's Witness at the front door. The words triune, trinity, yeah, hypostasis. Not in the Bible, yeah. Um, these, these are not terms that are used of God in the Bible. These are, these are categories that have been created in order to try to at least declare the paradox. Not explain it, just confess it. Right. Um, it's interesting that as we got into that, to deal with the Arians, uh, who added an eye to the word, and uh, simply change the whole thing. Homoousius, a similar substance. Yeah, well, it's, but that's, that's like what substance. you do. When, when somebody coins a term, and especially if they've dusted it off the heap of rejected terms, and you say, okay, well, how, let's try this. You know, you negotiate. Uh, I don't blame them. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. So they say, well, we can't quite say homoousius because that means the same essence. You know, but how about homoi, similar essence? It's interesting how the church has benefited from heretics over the years. Uh, Marcion develops his own canon of scripture, which really gets the church on fire to, forces, to formalize yeah, a canon of scripture. Forces the canonical hand. You got to say something at this point. You have the Arians marching and chanting. There was a time when the sun was not. And they, they basically got the ball rolling on all sorts of hymnody with that because they, the church realized that's a really good way to instruct people. And so, uh, you know, we get a benefit out of that. So it's interesting how these these guys who bring error in actually bring tools in that we can use. Uh, Homoousius is another one. Like you the Arians also there. did probably more mission work in, in Europe than anybody else. So yeah, they, 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 they brought got to be big. a distorted gospel, but they brought they brought the gospel. So again, see, this is God the opportunist. Yeah, you know, did God send and cause Arianism? No, but he said. I can use that. <laughs> and it's used for a variety of purposes. As you say, to, to clarify the way we speak. Yeah. Um, and also then to, uh, to actually, you know, carry the gospel around even in a kind of distorted form, which leads to kind of an interesting question. Um, can, could God use those door-to-door Jehovah's Witness missionaries for good? Well, uh, Martin Luther calls Satan the God's devil. God's devil. Yeah, right. You know? yeah. So, so whatever he does, God uses. Yeah, God's good at making lemonade. It's his big neener, neener, neener kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> Works all things together for the good of those who love him according to his purpose, says right. Romans 8. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, this, this comes up on Trinity Sunday. Yeah, you know, Trinity Sunday, that's the big blowout. Now, we don't mention the Athanasian Creed, but the Athanasian Creed is an exercise of of this paradox of three and one I thought you were going to say Zitzleben. No, 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 not, not context. <laughs> paradox of the three in one-ness. 
of of God. So you know, not three incomprehensibles, but one incomprehensible. Not three, you know, or what is what is Dorothy Sayers says: the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit incomprehensible, the whole thing incomprehensible. Have Have you had this uh, on Trinity Sunday? Your parishioners will walk out, and one of them will say, "I am so confused." That that creed just confused and confounded me to no end. <laughs> well, I think I I I, uh, I short circuited by usually saying something to the effect of a god that you can fit inside of your head uh, isn't God. So we're kind of reveling in this this uh, we're approximating we're doing the best we can with the tools and language we have. Um, I, I had a profound thought. I think it was a profound thought. I'll let you be the judge. Um, when I was giving a, a, a lecture on answering the atheists uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I was remembering a, a book that I had to read when I was, I believe, in eighth grade. No, it was freshman year in high school, algebra. It was called Flatland. You ever hear of it? I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it. It's a cool it, little though. book by a mathematician, but it's about a two-dimensional universe. So this hmm. world is, is, has only two dimensions. So try to imagine that, a world where everything is a line or a point. Okay. Now, um, try, to fig- try, try in that world, that two-dimensional world, to imagine and describe a sphere that is a three-dimensional being in a two-dimensional world. Hmm. Um, it, it, a, a lot depends on whether the sphere is moving or not through the two-dimensional universe called Flatland. If it's stationary, then the sphere will only appear as a line or maybe a point. If, just the, if, if it's just touching, it'll be a point. If it's intersecting, it'll, it'll appear as a line. If it's moving through the flat universe called Flatland, it will appear as a point which grows into a line of a certain you know, length, the diameter, and then shrinks again to a point. So it's a, it's a dynamic experience. But the question is, how do you describe a sphere in a two-dimensional universe. You can only describe it in two-dimensional terms. Interesting. As a line, a point, or a point that grows into a line and then shrinks back to a point again. You're a modalist. No. What I'm saying is that when, <laughs> when we talk about God, we are talking about dimensionalities beyond our experience, yeah. but we are limited to our own dimension. We can only speak in terms of our dimensions. So all of our language about God is only going to be approximate and never square on the point. It's kind of like our best guess as to how to put this together, but it really is a best guess. And even when Jesus reveals it to us in human terms, you know, the sphere, you know, the sphere joins in flat land and he's fully there, but we only perceive him on our terms, not on higher terms. We're right. not permitted that. We're not permitted the, the big vision. It, it, this is the sort of thing people go nuts over. You're talking about various things that are beyond our comprehension, like uh, eschatology, time out of time, you know, mm-hmm. time beyond time. Yeah, time, we're stuck in time. So yeah. all we can do is, is, is analogize. We can use analogies, but they're only going to be close they're right. not really gonna they're not gonna really grab it and the the idea of forever now is is just right. you know what right <laughs> that, or, that or now not yet or the eternally present the already and not yet mm-hmm. and the the, the yeah is uh, <laughs> because infinite infinite infinity is beyond our comprehension but outside of this realm 
infinity is normal. It reminds me of a Steve Wright line, you know, where he says, I, I got bored one afternoon and I, I rounded infinity. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but, but I thought this Flatland illustration was, was, uh, was, was apt. Um, Capon talks about oysters. In an oyster world, if an oyster were to describe a human being, it would only be in oyster terms. Because there's no point in talking about something higher than yourself. Hmm. And so in, in a two-dimensional world, a three-dimensional object can only be described in two-dimensional terms. Um, application, when man speaks about God, theology, it can only be on anthropocentric terms. It can only be in human terms. Hmm. Yeah. By definition. And, and so these, the reason I think there's paradox is, is there's something more... That that our limitations, our creaturely limitations, cannot fully grasp. It's just it's not there. We don't have the tools to to perceive it, nor do we have the language to describe it. What's in, what's interesting though is that the infinite God accommodates us, and he reaches and makes down himself to us. understandable to us in a way that we can grasp it, and and so he comes as as a man. Well, in flatland terms, uh, the sphere intersects uh, flatland and and makes himself known as the point that grows into a line and retreats back into a point again, and says that's good enough. That, that that's if 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 you if you worship the the point that grows into a line and shrinks back into a point again, that's close enough for you. <laughs> Because beyond that, you'll never get it. Right. You, you know, it's it, it's you can't even start. And so, so uh, you know, and that's Paul's big, uh, you know, hands up in the air at the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom of knowledge of God. You know, how unsearchable his judgments, uh, you know, and his ways beyond tracing out. There, there's no way to figure out God except what he chooses to reveal. And, and he'll reveal it to us in human terms. So the fullness of God dwells in the flesh of Christ. And that was Luther's thing. Be content with Christ. Hmm. You know, and, and so what we know about the Trinity, if Jesus hadn't said baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I don't think we'd have a doctrine of the Trinity. Well, yeah, that's... We'd be modalists. Except there are other places, like in creation, uh, as God's creating, you know, you, you have the latent, Father, the, latent, you know. the Spirit hovering over the depths and the Word going out. And it, but if, it if is, you, but it isn't. If you don't have that understanding of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then you're not going to catch that. See, I'm glad you mentioned that because, see, this, this, the, the new Samosatans who assert that the Word signifies a physical Word and the Spirit is a movement would fit really nicely with how to understand Genesis if you didn't have Christ. Hmm. Namely, that the Father spoke, so the, his speaking is the divine word, and he breathed, his breath is the wind, the breath of God that hovers over the deep. And so it makes sense. But the trouble is now you've got the second big paradox. You've got this guy who claims and acts as though he were the son of God, because he is. Right. And saying he and the Father are the same thing in essence <laughs> so now you know all bets are off and and he's either nuttier as a loon or uh there's something about him that's just a little bit different and uh his dying and rising causes you to go back and say okay let's uh let's review this videotape here and, and listen i'm really curious how uh, paul of samosato would answer someone who says is jesus praying to himself in the garden 
you know, what, what's that all about? Yeah, those are, those are the kind of, who does Jesus pray to when he prays to the Father? Yeah. When he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Is he talking to himself? He's talking to the hat in the closet. That's he's his saying, father. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. that doesn't make sense. Yeah, or he's switching hats, you know. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like, it's like a vaudeville act. <laughs> it's like playing badminton by yourself. But you know? the capon, I like capons. He says, that's the that's that's uh, the baseball analogy. The father's the opening, the, the starting pitcher, the son, the middle reliever that clinches the game for the home team, and the spirit's the closer at the end of the <laughs> age who kind of comes in and just wraps up the game for the home team is is this misunderstanding of the trinity damning would this damn one to hell do you think <laughs> so I'm, I'm or, leave. or is it one of those things where you say you're just grossly misinformed here. i'm going to leave all judgments to god of uh, that that you know jesus said judge not you will not be judged I, i'm not safe. gonna i'm not gonna get snookered into you know well they're going to hell because they got that formula wrong um i i think if you get it wrong you get jesus wrong potentially well and if you get jesus wrong then you're in trouble well, and, and the, it all kind of topples from there. The, the real question is, um, are you going to speak accurately and faithfully about, what, about who God is and what he does? That, that's really the, the thing. It's more about a loving service for the neighbor. Do you, do you want to give the neighbor a clear word about God uh, that God's revealed to us? Or do you want to just kind of make something up on the fly? Now, do, uh, now uh, once again, modalism is probably my hobby horse here. But in this one, I don't see that it really... Uh, precludes one from saying uh, God took on the flesh of man, came, lived a perfect life, died, and rose from the dead for us. Um, You might be confused as to the first, second, third person of the Trinity, but to say God did these things, you know, kind of makes me wonder if if this is actually a damning thing or not. But once again, like you, uh, this isn't my call, so I'm going to leave it up to God. Right. I mean, the the problem is it doesn't fully account for all the scriptural data. You know, and that, that's really the problem. The, the place of it here in the Augsburg Confession is, is we're taking our place with the church Catholic, right. you know, asserting the Nicene faith. You know, we reference the Nicene Creed. There are echoes of the Apostles and Athanasian Creed in this. We reject all the old heresies that, that have been, this, this is like beating on a dead horse, some of these heresies. They're long dead, but we're still beating on them along with everybody else because it's nothing new. You know, Lutherans were not inventing a new church, starting some kind of new radical church body or denomination, but but they're claiming their rightful place in in the in the Western and in, in the greater Christian tradition. We're hearkening back to our fathers. I think this is a good place to leave off with Article One of the Augsburg Confession. We managed to talk about it. <laughs> we'll catch you next time on the God Whispers. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine.